0: This episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined, as always, by your hosts, former Australian Ironman champion Jared Donnelly, and I'm Jordan Donnelly. In today's episode, we've got a special guest with us, Brenton Ford from Effortless Swimming. So, when swimmers and triathletes want to get faster in the water. It's not often a matter of training harder. Fitness can only take a person so far in swimming. The most effective way to increase speed and endurance is actually by improving your technique. That is a blurb from Bretton Ford himself, former national swimmer and elite swimming coach, winner of Australian National Masters Swim Coach of the Year. And he realized that the traditional coaching methods that he'd been taught growing up for swimming didn't actually work for a lot of swimmers, especially those without a swimming background. So he founded Effortless Swimming a way to work with and share the methods that he'd had success with, with a larger audience from around the world. So we were very excited to have Brenton join us on the podcast today as he helps triathletes from around the world improve their swim technique to have a more enjoyable swim experience in a race. Dad, did you enjoy the chat?
1: I certainly did, Jordan. Uh, the passion that Brenton shows for his, uh, for his uh, job as a swimming coach and te- technician uh, really came across, and ironically, I swam against his dad um, as a as an eight, nine, ten, and eleven-year-old uh, junior swimmer. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the six degrees of separation. There it was uh, quite funny uh, the links we had, and uh, he grew up in the uh, the same town as I grew up in, and um, yeah, just just a really uh, keen and enthusiastic uh, approach to swimming and a lot of people really struggle uh, with the swimming in triathlon. It's the hardest leg uh, because it's so skill-based. It's a skill acquisition and and, you know, as Brenton explains so eloquently, no matter how fit you are, you know, as a swimmer, if you don't have employed the right technique, you're not going to get the result you want. And and we need to pay attention to our technique. And, uh, yeah, it's, such, it's great to have such an expert uh, on, on the uh, podcast and uh, really get across uh, some really good tips that will that'll, that'll give you an extra second or two per 100 metres um, instantly. Um, I can guarantee that uh, some of the things he said were really Gold and um, and yeah, they seem obvious, but uh, when you hear it from, from an expert who's coached you know thousands of people along the journey, uh, it, it's really good to to see that most swimmers are, are struggling with the same thing, and it's just a couple of tweaks here and there that'll that'll enable you to get you know get that little bit of uh, more out of your out of your swim in the triathlon.
0: Absolutely, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Without further ado, here is the interview.
1: All right, Brenton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very
2: much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been uh, yeah, great, great to catch up with you guys, albeit virtually, um, but yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You are in Melbourne, but we're still kind of in a situation where we, it's a bit hard to catch up with everything happening, but uh, we are very glad you've joined us and I want to get straight into it. I want to launch off the bat and just go straight into the first question, which is uh, what can help our triathletes? What is the most common correction that you make with triathletes, for example, with their swim technique to help them get improvements straight away?
2: Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, there's certainly a a couple that stand out, but I might just go to one that comes to mind. So last, last weekend I was running clinics and I'd say probably four out of six swimmers of every clinic that we had, they were starting the catch too soon. So one thing that I see, particularly with people who haven't swum for a long time is they feel like when they enter the water, they've got to start pulling straight away. Cause it's like, I've got to get going. I've got to get that propulsion happening. But if they don't have that point where they're reaching forwards before they start the catch or start pulling through, then they swim very short. And it's just, it's kind of like this treadmill that feels very hard to get off. So that's one of the things I work with a lot with triathletes is just getting them to be a little bit longer at the front of their stroke and sometimes a little bit longer at the back. Uh, It kind of plays into a really common one is, which is a crossover, which I'm sure you guys will have seen everyone knows about you know arm crossing over and getting this sort of fish tailing happening through the water but I, I've actually found recently at least in clinics is a lot of people are just going in going too deep and they're, they're not long enough out the front so um, that would probably be the one that I would uh, go to at the moment that's a that's a great
1: tip right off the bat and if if, uh, if the listeners learn one thing today that would be a huge advantage and look we get all sorts of uh, standards of swimmers in, in our triathlon group. And, and one of the questions I always love to ask someone who's really an expert in the field, like you are, is, is there no hope for the worst swimmer um, out there? It, it can, he, can he improve? Um, you know, we, we've got that, got that swimmer and you know, they they call themselves like rocks or bricks or, yeah, and, and they're forever just, Training their house down, but they're just not improving. is 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 it Is it possible for someone to do all of that and not get better? Yeah, it's
2: uh, so common, and I feel like attitude is a massive part of anything you do. But definitely swimming. So one of the funny things that I, I find when people come and see me is if they've come from the UK, particularly if they've come from England, they'll say, "I've come from the, from England, so I'm not a very good swimmer." And that sort of attitude going in, it's like, well, just wipe that from <laughs> from your vocabulary. And, uh, and then yeah, think of it as I'm um, not that quick yet, but I can, I can definitely get faster and, um, had a swimmer on Sunday who he learned to swim a month ago and he's, he wants to qualify for Kona. And when, if you had a look at his footage and he would say the same thing is you would think what is going on here? Like, this isn't really swimming. This is, this is what do you call it. It was like, uh, it was like, yeah, it was, I can't remember what someone said, but it's like uh graceful drowning or something like that. But. <laughs> Uh, but because swimming's so technical, and in some ways a bit different than your swimming, your than your your bike and your run, is that you can certainly put in all the effort in the world, but you're not going to get the same returns as you will with the other two sports because it is so technical. So I think it's yeah, you can absolutely get faster no matter where you're at. But the problem that a lot of people have is they just don't know what it is that they're doing wrong, and sometimes they've got some some concepts that they may have sort of taken and run with and it's not working for them. So like an example of that is like a really common one is people think I need to bilateral breathe, right? So it's like they get told oh, well, you need to breathe every three, you need to breathe to both sides because that's what you, makes you balance. That's what, um, what you need to do. But often, you know, people aren't suited to that. Some triathletes are better off breathing every two and you need the oxygen. If you're short on oxygen, good mm-hmm. like trying to race an Ironman swim. So uh, like things like that. And then there's other concepts that people just take a little bit too, too far. So that's what I think uh, like obviously just video analysis makes a massive difference for the individual. And if you don't have like someone like myself or you guys to you know, look at them, even just get someone to film you on your phone and have a look at what you're doing, because it is very technical and the difference between what you think you're doing, and what you're actually doing, I would, I don't, I don't know anyone who swims exactly like they think that they do. So mm. it's not until you actually see it um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that you get that understanding. So, you know, with the stuff that we do, like i run three and a half hour clinics and we do filming at the start and at the end. And look, it takes, I couldn't make it really any shorter, I think to get the, give everyone the sort of the full information of what they need and just kind of reprogram their thinking about their swimming, because you know, I've run squads before, and you can give a tip here and there, but it's very difficult to make many changes just with one line, you know, or just a little bit of feedback here and there. So I think that it's worthwhile deep diving into their technique and just kind of having that bit of an overhaul.
1: That's that's a great answer, and look, it leads on to what we were going to talk about next, which was you know the importance of uh, actual video analysis and 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 getting a person to understand. Uh, what they look like and and the feel they have and and it's often a big question in swimming is oh I've got the feel like you know the swimmers feel Ex- explain that a bit
2: yeah so it's uh, I've heard it go both ways right so like you feel for the water is kind of that that concept of being able to keep pressure on your hand and forearm as you're going through your catch in your pool that's what we'd refer to as the feel. And like reading Brett Sutton's stuff, he says that I've only seen like two, two triathletes who've ever had feel for the water in his whole coaching career. <laughs> um, I kind of see it and look, he's, he's obviously an amazing coach. He's worked with, with elite triathletes and he knows what he's talking about. The other sort of side of that would be though, is that with swimmers who will come to me, who most of them are just you know, age group triathletes, um, they're not looking to make Kona a lot of times. They just want to swim, swim faster and exit the water with a lot less effort. And we get them to feel the water a whole lot better by just improving their ability to improve their catch and pull and just get their timing right. And that sort of thing. So I think it's, there's two different meanings there in a way because you can certainly feel like you're holding much more water and that you're much more effective with what's happening underneath the water compared to what you were doing before. So um, again, I think it's one of those concepts that can be a bit confusing And one of the most confusing topics is a high elbow catch, right? Like I used to think high elbow meant elbow right up near the surface. That's a high elbow catch. And then it wasn't until I was coaching for a couple of years where I actually realized, man, that's not actually what they're talking about. Uh, So we sort of teach a a little bit differently and have found that to um, make a big difference with swimmers who were trying to be very
0: shallow with their catch. What do you teach them instead, if you don't mind us asking Is that one of the secrets of the trade? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, as you
2: know, like I sort of, it, I, I don't um, hold any secrets. i just kind of give it, give it all away because I think there's, um, there's certainly an element of, well, people will sort of hear things and then it's a different story on implementing that and being able to make that a part of their stroke. So look with the high elbow catch, right? The way I, I will explain it when I'm working with someone is we'll have a look at some underwater footage of someone. So swimming from the side and then, uh, I explain the catch. So I say the catch starts when you're at full extension out in front with your arm. If you can see this. And then when the fingertips are pointing down to about, so like almost 45 degrees. So that hand and forearms just move down a bit. Now in that position, if we draw a line from your shoulder down to your fingertips, if that elbow is above that imaginary line, that would be considered a high elbow catch. And then another way to think of it is an early bit like a, a vertical forearm. If the elbow is below that imaginary line, it'd be considered dropping the elbow. And when you look at that on the camera, you can see the biggest difference is the hand and forearm in a high elbow catch is facing back behind you, which will help you move forwards. And with the dropped elbow, obviously that's gonna be pressing down. It's not gonna do much to move you forwards. And sometimes that concept alone makes a huge difference with people if they've been trying to be really shallow with the catch. Um, and it, you know, it did for me because when I first got filmed quite a few years ago, I was very shallow with it, and it just wasn't allowing me to get as much power as I can now, because um, I was just too shallow with with where my arms were.
1: There's a there's a lot in in swimming as a as a technical sport, and it's a real it's almost a skill acquisition sport, isn't it? Compared to riding and running, where fitness is a major thing, you still need to have good technique on the bike. You still need to run with good form if you If you don't have any of that really good technical side in swimming, no matter how fit you are, would you say it's fair to say that you know you're going to stay the same um, and there's going to be minimal improvement unless you actually pay attention to the skill and the and the technique of swimming
2: yeah yeah absolutely and it's um and and like an example of that is the same guy I was talking about who was gracefully drowning on sunday um we he was kind of all over the shop. Body was going everywhere, and he's a super fit guy. That morning, he'd run twenty-eight k's, um, and I think he'd done a maybe a bike ride as well. Like he's super fit guy, but was just working so hard to get. I think he was like 215, 220 pace per hundred, mm. um, and then just by tidying up a couple of things and knowing what he was doing wrong and what he had to change, then he sent me a message this morning, and he's down to I think it's like one fifty-eight. He did a fifteen hundred meter swim. And like, it's, it's no surprise when you actually see the difference, the before and after, but it just really came down to, uh, to improving his, his technique. So um, in terms of how do you go about it? Cause there's so much going on when you swim and it's, you know, even like for me, it's so easy to overthink it. Uh, I like to, we've kind of got these five core principles on our website where uh, it starts with breathing. So if you are, if you're hyperventilating or you're panicked in the water, there's no hope with anything else. So we've got to get the breathing right. And the first thing with that often is just making sure that people are exhaling the right way. A lot of people breathe out through their mouth and it kind of leads to this panicked type of breathing. Whereas if you can exhale primarily through your nose and have this trickle of air and then a bigger exhale where you clear the lungs as you're turning your head, that's a much more comfortable way because if you are just breathing in and then straight away blowing everything out, you're going to feel gas pretty quickly. So it starts with breathing. Then we just work on body position and balance uh, in the water. So just starting to get horizontal instead of what with the legs and dropping. Dragon, um, yeah. yeah. And then we go on to uh, rotation um, and rotation and recovery. And uh, then after that, we go on to catch and pull. And then we go on to kind of the rhythm and, and timing of the whole thing. And that's kind of like the dance element of it. That's, the, uh, that's where the art of it really comes in. But if you follow that sort of um, you know, step-by-step way of, of approaching it, that's a pretty good way to keep it simple um, and know the right thing to focus on at the, the right time. So you could almost go, look,
0: my breathing's sweet. Cool, check that off. Move on to the next thing. I really liked your five core principles and I wanted to ask you about that on this podcast. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about, about that second one, uh, the rotation, because there must be a fine line there between trying to get the rotation right and then not fall into the trap of crossing over like you were talking about before.
2: Yeah. And look, when I first started swimming, I was watching, I was probably 13 years old. Ian Thorpe came out with this. It wasn't a DVD then. It was like a VHS tape. And I used to watch that and I saw well, he rotates a lot. And so I sort of took that as you got to rotate to 90 degrees. It's like almost rolling side to side. And then when I actually sort of looked into it a bit more, no, nah, it's more like a rocking side to side. Uh, and there's a swim coach, Carlin Pipes, who, who made that distinction. I, I sort of took that from her is you want to rock, side so to side, think of that as about 45 degrees rotation through your shoulders as opposed to 90 degrees. So it's um yeah, that way you can keep your stroke rate up because it's going to take you so much longer to roll to 90 degrees. And plus trying to get a, a good catch, if you're that far on your side and that arms out in front, it's like it doesn't matter how good your flexibility is, it's gonna be very difficult to, to get a good catch. So the the concept that I quite like with with this is um is skating from side to side. So when I was coaching on Saturday, I was driving to the pool. There was a guy about my age, he had his rollerblades on, he was just as, as free as a bird, roller skating along. And I, and I thought that was, I hadn't seen that for so many years, but I thought it was quite funny. But that's the kind of concept or the comparison I use with, with swimming is when you are going from your right arm to your left arm, it's sort of like skating from your right side to your left side. Because someone on rollerblades or ice skates isn't going back and forth really fast, it's just they've got that little bit of travel time. And so with a, a bit of a rock side to side and the concept of skating, that's when you can really feel like the effort comes down a whole lot because it's almost like you've got this point of rest in a way, not like you're stopping and pausing, but that point where you feel like ah, oh, that's easy. And it's uh, a big difference compared to that, tr- that um, treadmill that we were talking about before.
1: Yeah, and, and what you've said is so true and uh, you, can, you can really feel it when, you've, when you do your warm-up. Your first 50 metres, you feel like you are an Olympian and then it's all downhill from that <laughs> point onwards because uh, you've got the right technique because there's no fatigue in, in the warm-up. Um, you've, you've got some ideas of how you should be swimming and then as fatigue sets in, the stroke falls apart because you don't have the fitness to hold and maintain what you know you should be doing. Would that be a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And even that first, uh, I don't know if you guys were out of the water for a long time over that second lockdown, but that first 50 for me felt great. And then uh, after that was all downhill and uh, it's, it's the same, like most sessions usually. So um, one of the big changes that I find newer swimmers um, make is that, and you've probably found this if you've had athletes come to you is a lot of people think of their swimming, like they're running is like i'm just going to go for a a run i'm just going to go for a swim i'm just going to go okay in the pool and there's no change in speed there's no breaking between there's it's just going for a swim but when you actually break it down you give yourself intervals and rest times and all that sort of stuff you get that time to reset get your heart rate down and then you can just kind of focus on your stroke again so without the with the wrong programming or no programming at all you often find that people are just um, they're stuck in this one zone and there's no change in speed. Their technique falls apart after the, the first couple hundred metres and it's a very hard task to try and keep a good stroke and improve your technique with that. So just even the right programs can make a huge difference.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And, and look, so that leads to the next question is, you know, how much time in, as a triathlete, we've got so many hours of training on the bike and running and swimming how much time in the pool would you recommend a triathlete should spend focusing on his drills as compared to his fitness? Yeah. It's a, yeah, great, great question. A really common one. And
2: I think, uh, cause I, and I know you guys are def- definitely about, you know, time management with you you've got your family first, you've everyone, you know, most people have got a job. So it's hard to fit in however many sessions a week they're doing with all three sports. So, And I'm the same. Like I don't want to go and do an hour or an hour and a half of drills once a week. Like to me, that's just not very inspiring. So what I say to swimmers who who come to me is, like, I'll prescribe them drills as specific to what they need to change. In your warm up, you might do between 200 meters to 400 meters of some drill swim work, and that's it for the session. So that might be say 200 meters of 25 drill, 25 swim, and we mix in the swim in between, so you kind of get that. Link between what's the purpose of this drill, what's it focused on, and then you can link it to your to your stroke. So it doesn't need to be a whole lot, but if we think of skill acquisition, or if we think of changing a motor pattern that we've got, it's no good doing something once a fortnight because it's not going to change that motor pattern. We've got to be consistent with it. So in order to be consistent with it, I say every session or nearly every session, do your two hundred to four hundred meters of drill swim work as party warm up. It'll set you up really nicely for the session, and then you can hopefully maintain. Uh, that better or slightly better technique into your main set
0: and do you see those motor changes happening quite quickly i mean that example you already provided of the um the graceful drowner who you know has wiped <laughs> off 20 seconds uh, quite quickly uh, that is that's quite a quick skill acquisition uh, and improvement so I mean, that gives hope for a lot of people that you can wipe off some time with some changes mm-hmm. pretty quickly
2: yeah and everyone's different so like i had a uh, another clinic I ran on Saturday. There was two swimmers there. One, he had a very high cadence. Like he's a fast swimmer. He's swimming like 115s to one twenties. Really quick swimmer. But he just didn't have enough kind of reach and extension. So he wasn't quite front quadrant. Like he was just starting his catch a little bit soon. And so we're looking at making a change just to kind of get him out the front a little bit more. Get him out the front of his shoulders. And for him, making that change, I think, when we talked about this, is going to make him slower for the first two to four weeks and then for the other swimmer who um was doing a a similar thing but just had a sort of different style for him i think his his change is going to result in getting faster straight away so the the thing i like to make clear now to people when we when i work with them is don't worry what happens for the next two to four weeks look at it more like six to eight weeks down the track because that's going to be a better representation of um, of your actual improvement in speed with those changes in technique because when you change something that you're doing and you're not used to it it's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable and i used to think especially when i first started coaching i thought any change that someone makes that's in the right direction will make them faster and it will feel good but it's not the case because yeah. it's just different to what they're used to so even you know, the most ugly technique can feel good for someone and when they get a better technique sometimes it's not going to actually uh, make them quicker straight away. So it, um, it really just depends on the the individual. And if they can put up with that uncomfortable feeling for a few weeks, their new normal, um, you know, that new stroke becomes their new normal and it starts to feel good eventually. It's exactly the same as the
0: bike, isn't it, Dad?
1: Yeah. And look, I was thinking while you were talking, uh, the, the analogy that I always kind of try to use with people is as a golfer, if, if you were so determined and motivated and went out and practiced eight hours a day hitting ball after ball, if you practice the wrong swing, you just, the eight hours is almost wasted. You've got to practice correct technique and not incorrect technique. And it does take time because you've done it for so many years as a young kid swum in a certain way, whether you were taught properly at the start or whether you just made it up to survive from drowning. Hmm. Um, you've got these uh, traits that you've kept and it's, it's not easy, is it, uh, to, to change those straight away. So you need to give yourself time. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, um, like, I think having the, the expectation of how long it will take to improve helps and the sort of the, the, um, how would you say it? Like I, and, and I also used to think you, when you're changing your stroke, you want to try and get every single stroke, right? Like operate at that speed where every single stroke is, uh, is correct. But kind of speaking with, um, with people who work in rehab, with like um, people who've been in car accidents and that kind of thing, the kind of benchmark that they look at or what they want to get to is seven out of 10 strokes. So you can, in that respect, right, operate at the, the speed where you're getting seven out of 10 strokes, right? Roughly, because otherwise you don't sort of reinforce those patterns um, as quickly as if you're operating at that seven out of 10. So it doesn't mean you need to do a month or two months of just really slow swimming, just trying to change a technique. Now you can actually get some speed going. And that's actually going to help you and help me make those changes quicker.
0: I'd like um, to ask you, sorry, dad, I am, um, I'd like to ask you further about that kind of mental approach uh, with, you know, expectations, because as with everything, the, the mindset side is so key. And you made a really good point before about you know, people coming with certain beliefs and those beliefs really don't help them. Uh, so you're trying to get rid of those beliefs straight away. But, a lot of the language, if you're not used to it, if you're a beginner, the catch and pull, you know, even the five core principles, if you've never heard of those things before, can be quite overwhelming. So, how do you approach that uh, mindset wise at your clinics or uh, in your videos with so many things to think about? It can become overwhelming for the athlete.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely can. And that's when, um, like, if, when someone's overthinking the stroke you can see it like there's they're very robotic they're very mechanical and there's not much fluency and rhythm to the stroke and so what what i try and have someone leave with when i work with them is maximum three things to focus on ideally like one or two is great but um you know two to three really is what it often comes down to and so like i I work with uh, a lot of people online and so they'll send me their videos and i had someone send me Um, a video last week and they sent me like a whole bunch of just stuff that they were thinking about with their swimming. And I was reading through it. I thought none of this is related to what's going to make you faster. So that's my role as a coach to be able to just go um, look with this stuff. That's, that's, it's relevant, but it's not going to help you go faster. So if you just focus on these two things, which are relevant to his technique, that's going to make the difference. And so hopefully with that, then he can go go ahead and just um and focus on that and just simplify it. Because if you're up in your thinking brain when you're swimming, you're going to miss your timing, even if it's by point one or point two. And you particularly see that like in like ball sports, for example, um, or like you know, tennis or something like that, where if you are uh, if your time's out and you're overthinking it, that is the, the critical point where yeah, you are going to win the game or you're going to lose the game. And it's really no difference in uh, different in, in our sports in a way. I mean, it's endurance. That's so a little bit different, but particularly with swimming, if you're up in your head, then uh, yeah, it's just not going to happen. Swimming's very much a feeling, feeling sport. And so what I, what I often say at clinics is that like in the drills, great being your thinking brain, because you want to make sure that you're making these technical changes. But if you're too much up there, when you swim, it's not going to happen for you. So just try and go by feel, use that feeling brain and just be in the zone, be in the moment as much as you, as much as you can.
1: Um, one of the things that leads on from that is um, I get a lot of swimmers who want to swim with flippers on all the time um, because their their reasoning, which sounds okay um, is that I want to practice good technique swimming fast. And what, what's your view view on that? Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I so with flippers, I mean, let's say we're working with triathletes. I will often recommend wear warm up with flippers. That can be pretty good in most cases because, look, if someone's starting at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning, they're probably not very warm. And a lot of people aren't doing, like, you know, pre-training warm-ups. So nothing wrong with uh, warming up with fins because it's going to ease your shoulders into it, and I quite like that. You can do some drills a bit better with fins. But, yeah, if you are wearing fins, it's not very close to what you would swim like especially in a triathlon i think um so like i wouldn't we don't normally do much at all with fins in the main set obviously there's different purposes for it but yeah i think warm-up's good but yeah not so much for for a main set because i mean you guys i imagine do quite a bit of pool boy work pool boy paddles that stuff's great for strength and it kind of simulates a wetsuit a bit especially with a pool boy in or double pool boy so you want to you want to replicate those conditions but there's nowhere that you're going to be wearing fins for, mm.
1: and it just makes it, yeah, the, the stroke changes a lot without fins. That's such a good point, and I'm glad that the listeners are all hearing that message. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, look, one of the things with fins too is it's really fatiguing on the legs, and you're already going to have a day where you're going to be riding and running using your legs for the majority of the time. So mm. you want to, you in your opinion, you want to get a nice, uh, efficient, uh, balanced kick rather than one that's propelling you. Um, along in an endurance uh, event like swimming yeah it's really funny because a lot of people they have the the concept
2: that they like they'll come to me and they'll say oh what like i don't i don't kick much when i swim and like it's the, like it's a really bad thing but it's like no it's well, especially if you're triathlon it's going to save your legs that's that's a good thing and we don't want to be kicking really for propulsion unless you're doing your 50 or 100 freestyle or if you're you know a competitive swimmer really if you're a triathlete It's more balanced in timing so keep the kick fairly small the i like to talk about a like a bucket twice the size of like a um, garden bucket keep your feet within that that bigger bucket so it doesn't come too far outside the line of your body and then heels should be breaking the surface every couple of kicks but turn the effort down to like a two or a three out of ten if it's up around a six or more that's the first thing that is going to gas you. And you obviously find that with beginner swimmers as well. It's like the kick is providing the propulsion and that's why the heart rate goes to 180 after 25 meters. It's just, it's the Mm. kick. And it's no different if you're like an elite swimmer. If an elite swimmer is kicking super hard for 100 meters and their arms are going easy, they're going to be just as gassed as the beginner swimmer. Maybe not quite as much because they might be a bit fitter, but yeah, it's it's the legs that will tie you out the quickest.
1: Uh, that's brilliant, thank you. Um, I'm really pleased to hear that as well. So we've got got a few concepts about legs in swimming uh, out of the way. Um, one of the things that that leads me to is you know, triathlon is a, a, an outdoor event. How much time would you recommend? You know, an average swimmer uh, in the pool and outdoor swimming.
2: Yeah, uh, obviously it's it's individual, but I think it's good, especially in summer when you can when in summer here in. In Victoria, for example, if you can do an open water swim once a week, that's going to make a huge difference. Like it's, it feels like a, the fifth stroke in a way. Open water skills feels like a different, different stroke. So you want to go in with some confidence, knowing that you can handle a little bit of chop, other people around you, and um, and because yeah, your your anxiety is certainly heightened when you go open water. And if you look at if you look at the elite open water swimmers, they'll do ten sessions in the pool one session in the open water. So I think it's a a pretty good rule of thumb to follow, not 10 swims, but like whatever, two in the (laughs) the pool, three in the pool, and then one open water uh, when it's coming up to, to race time. And if you don't have that, if you can't get to the ocean or whatever, if you can do it in your squad, like just get some of those open water skills happening, your siding, if you can swim in a group and that sort of thing, just, just try and get those skills. And if you're not comfortable in the open water, like if you, if you, have a panic attack, which a lot of people do when they first get in is the way to overcome it is to start with the easiest form of it. So that might be like going down to here in Melbourne, like maybe going down to Elwood or Brighton beach, staying where you can stand up, going with a friend and just starting there and then just progressively increasing the difficulty of the situation that you put yourself in.
1: That's a really good point. Uh, the anxiety level is really high in uh, triathletes. And, mm. you know, uh, the, uh, one of the reasons is because they don't practice open water swimming and they're in the pool the whole time, the safety net of, you know, of a bottom of the pool and the sides to, to, to hang on to if you do have a panic attack, which, mm. you know, in the open water, if you're not used to doing it, you, you're going to have this uh, foreign feeling like come race day. I've seen guys not sw- swim at all outdoor and then go and do a triathlon without doing any outdoor swims. And of course what happens, Mm. they absolutely have a panic attack. Um, so the question is, um, when you're, when you're swimming outdoors, you know, the, the athletes, should they be doing just continuous endurance swimming? Um, should they do some intervals? Should they do some sighting to boys? And, and the next extension to that is how should you swim your stroke, trying to keep your uh, direction, in, in the right focus. And, and uh, yeah, really that's the, the the main thing I'm keen to hear from you. Yeah. It's,
2: it's uh, really interesting to look at uh, the Strava data after a race. So you look at um, (laughs) the most recent one I looked at was a little while ago, but I think it was challenge Melbourne. So it was the half distance race. And um, some people could have saved four to six minutes on their swim time just by going straight that 1900 swim turned into 23, 2400 Mm. meters with some of the the people that I was looking at. So if we think of that alone, you, you need to train so much or you need to put a lot of effort into your swimming to save that much time over the course of 1.9. So Mm. if we can just get that sighting right, that is going to make a, a huge difference. So I think a lot of times people don't sight enough. Some people will go like 20, 30 strokes without looking up. And if you have a tendency to swim off course, uh, you, you're definitely going to go off course. So one of the things that causes people to go off course is, is a crossover. It's probably one of the most common ones. So if your left hand is coming over and crossing over, then quite often we find that that will press out and that's going to turn you off to the right. So a crossover on, let's say, your right arm will lead you to go left. So um, if you know that you drift off to one side, it could be because of a crossover. And in terms of siding, obviously it depends on the race, but... Yeah, and it depends how many people are around and that kind of thing. But um, I think most people sh- should be siding anywhere from like every seven to, say, seven to 20 strokes depending on the conditions. And if you can do that without breaking your rhythm, then that's obviously going to be a, a massive benefit. So most people, when they first start open water swimming, their sighting technique is head down, then lift up for a bit and then go back down. And obviously the legs drop, it's hard work if you can get the sight and breathe method happening, it's going to be so much easier and you'll just find it fits into your, your natural rhythm and style so much better. So the sight and breathe method that I normally teach is when one hand is reaching forwards, that's going to be the hand that will sort of support you. Then you want to lift up aim for crocodile eyes, like eyes just above the surface or just high enough where you can see the boy or wherever you're going and then turn the head to the side as that other arm's coming over and breathe and then go back down. So it's literally sight forwards on one stroke and then breathe on the next stroke. And you'll find that you can do that without losing much speed at all. And that's really the, the key. Whereas if you're just lifting your head up, you'll probably find you slow down quite a bit. So that's often the method I like to teach. And look, they're both sort of valid ways to sight. You know, sometimes, you know, you'll look up for three strokes and go back down. But I think From my experience, most people don't know how to do that that sight and breathe method. And it's really, um, man, it makes a huge difference once they get it. And it takes like five or 10 minutes of practice to get it. So if you you know that you can't do it, that could be five or 10 minutes really
1: well spent. That's a great tip. And what about uh, drills in the open water? People uh, that I coach uh, always look at me strange when I say, you know, two or 300 meters to that boy, take a couple of minutes rest, then swim to another point. Is that something you would recommend in, in your open water uh, training?
2: Yeah, like if we're ever going open water, rarely will we go just without stopping at all. We're not like unless I'm doing a, even then like yeah, if we're just doing like a long aerobic swim, we might just go continuous for a couple k. But really, yeah, we're going so swimming out to a buoy, and let's say for it, Alwood where there's like two posts, I think they're about five hundred or four hundred apart. Like we'll often do intervals between them. We might go like three. Um, pole the poles as like build within that lap or we might just do like progressively build one to three and yeah just like almost making it like a pool training session in a way Um, and the other thing I find as well is like people get a lot more confidence out in the open water if they just sort of they're out there they're just sort of looking at their surroundings they're getting comfortable just being out there in the ocean as well so yeah rarely we just do a full open water swim where there's no different efforts and If you don't have posts or boys to swim to, then we'll often do like stroke count ones. So it's like, all right, 80 strokes just moderate and then 20 strokes fast. And we'll repeat that five times. So there's ways that you can make your open water swims much more interesting and break them down where you're actually going to get a much better um, benefit training wise from it as well.
1: Would you recommend uh, swimming uh, with the wetsuit in the open water or getting some practice uh, just with the speedos on? as a sort of uh, just to get the feel a bit better, and obviously the wetsuit's giving you buoyancy, but w- would you have a, a ratio there? These are
2: these are Queensland problems, aren't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, being down in Melbourne, it's we don't often get the chance to go without the, <laughs> the wetsuit, but um, yeah, I think um, oh, either one. Yeah, it, it really depends, doesn't it? I mean, because there is a chance when you go racing that you're not going to have a wetsuit on. Uh, but it's so i'd say most of the time you probably want to have your wetsuit on to practice with it because it's a different feeling you're you tight through the shoulders it restricts your recovery a little bit as well and it sometimes feels like it shortens your stroke so you definitely want to do most open water swims with a wetsuit um, but you look if and it, yeah it just depends on on where you are but a, a thing that i've found quite useful for freeing up your shoulders aside from getting a wetsuit that's a bit thinner through the shoulders like some of the entry-level wetsuits are pretty thick and. Mm doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter how much you try, you're going to feel quite restricted. So I think it's worthwhile spending a little bit extra on a higher level wetsuit within whatever brand that suits you best. And the other thing that helps too is after put your wetsuit on and I got taught this, um, how was it by, Oh, yeah, just by some friends basically like bend over. So I'll pull the wetsuit up my waist and gradually work it up, work it up. So over your shoulders, instead of it being pulled down really tight, it's sort of it's up here and that frees you up through through your shoulders and through your lats. And then with the sleeves, I try and just sort of pull it up towards my shoulders a little bit so that it's not, um, so it's not stretched. So you can kind of fit your wetsuit once it's on um, in a way where it's going to change how much freedom you've got through the
0: shoulders. I wanted to ask you Brenton about uh, sort of a similar topic in terms of different body types and biomechanics. I was, watching an interview with uh, an elite endurance swimmer, a uh, guy who swam across the channel between uh, Maui and I um, can't remember what the other Hawaii island was, but um, an awesome interview, you know, talking about really extreme um, 20 or 30-kilometer endurance swims. Uh, and he was talking about how humans are, not biomechanically made to swim that well, especially compared to a lot of fish out there. We are, we're really quite poor and very slow swimmers. Uh, and some people have you know, much better biomechanics that they seem to fly through the water a lot better. Um, you've given hope for a lot of swimmers. I can see you coughing there. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, you, you've given hope for a lot of um, swimmers that they can improve no matter what level they're at. But how do you think the role of biomechanics plays into it in terms of uh, how differing body parts need to adjust their stroke or their technique um, if they've got shorter arms, longer arms, you know, better mm. swimming, kick technique, that kind of thing. I think one of the main frustrations
2: that I, I hear, particularly from triathletes, which are generally slimmer, you know, got a lot less body fat than maybe a 40 or 50 year old guy who swum since he was young. And he's maybe been down at the surf club a bit and <laughs> um, drink with the guys on the weekend and might have a bit of a, a bit of a belly. And the frustration from the triathletes is like, I'm so much fitter than these guys, but they keep overtaking me. And it's, yeah, it's a valid frustration. It's like, you know, why is, why is that the case? Well, like I mean, definitely with a bit more buoyancy, you're going, a bit more fat, you're going to float better. Uh, but that said, you can still be a great swimmer with less with with less fat on you, so to speak. And, um, and obviously wingspan, the stroke's going to change a bit as well. So uh, with, the, with longer arms, if you're tall, your stroke rate's going to be a little bit lower in most cases than those that have got short arms. If you're five foot six, You're going to have to have a pretty fast turnover to compete with someone who's six foot two. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to use more effort as a result. You can, everyone's different, but you can swim fast with a higher, you know, with a higher stroke rate, let's say like 70 to 80 strokes per minute. And the other person's swimming at say 60 strokes per minute, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to use more effort because it's kind of like, you know, gears on the bike, you've got, the, you've got the big gear. If you're churning away in that thing, your heart rate can be right up at, at the near top. Whereas if you just sort of drop down, a few gears apply a little bit less, it's a little bit less power to, to get it rolling through. Then it's kind of the same thing in your swimming. If you just turn down the effort with, with that, then that's a way to hold a faster stroke rate. So you definitely do need to um, uh, yeah, take that into consideration. And certainly the more you know, taller, more wiry sort of people aren't going to float as well. Um, So that just means that, look, you're probably just going to have to change um, how you swim a little bit. It may not be the case where you've got as long a stroke and as glidey sort of stroke as um, someone who's got a little little bit more more fat on them. So it is certainly individual. And that's one of the things that I certainly um, had to figure out when I started coaching was I thought everyone should be aiming to swim like Ian Thorpe or Michael Phelps. But that's not the case at all. Um, and it's only just going to work against them if, if it's a different body type or even for a different sport, as you know, like there's not many swimmers who are swimming like um, Ian Thorpe style in triathlon. It's much faster turnover, much more scrappy. And um, you just want to adapt to whatever races they're doing and the body type that they've got.
1: One of the things that uh, I, I see is that one of the biggest common problems uh, triathletes and look, just beginner swimmers have is just getting their feet, uh, you know, not at that angle where it's dragging them. Uh, and I just see so many people have trouble getting their feet up. What, what are they doing wrong, Renton? Yeah, sometimes there's two, two things that normally play a part there.
2: So one is uh, some people just don't point their toes at all. Like just, they just haven't, uh, I guess, thought about it. And so their toes are just pointing down to the ground. Uh, so that's the first thing sometimes they just need to think about it and and it can improve. And we've certainly seen that. The other one, as you know, is just ankle mobility and, and flexibility through there. And some people have very limited. So it's look, it's difficult to change and it's actually an interesting thing you bring up because there's um, I'm speaking to someone next week, exactly about this topic who did a PhD. He did a, yeah, I think it is PhD on, um, Think like plantar flexion or um, kick speed in swimmers, and looking at ankle mobility and flexibility. And uh, so the gist of it is essentially that there are some things you can do to improve that. And it's not necessarily the flexibility that plays the biggest part in someone's kick speed. It's the strength of their. Ankles and their feet. So uh, we're talking about that next week. So I'm yet to uh, discover exactly what those things are, but I'll, I'll, I'll have a better answer for you next week. So um, it's uh, there, there are actually exercises that you can do to strengthen your your ankles and your feet to help you with your kicking. Um, but I can't share those with you because I don't know what they are. So, okay. um, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and uh, just an extension of that, how relevant is your head position in the water uh, in contributing to where your feet are ending up? And we know equal and opposite reaction with is it is it worth really persevering when getting your head as low as possible with the water sort of hitting the top of your head and you know you've got a lot of swimmers swimming with the water somewhere here and and a lot somewhere there is is that is that causing the feet to change position yes sometimes but it's it's
2: quite often not the case for many people that I, that I work with. So my experience, I'd say like one in 10, that's, that's the case. Um, it's certainly a factor, but there's so many different levers to change to help bring the, bring the feed up. So head position is normally the first one that we look, it's like, that's easy to fix. You can either just change where you're looking. Um, and the main thing with head position and yeah, main thing with head position that I like to teach is you can look anywhere from straight down to what would be considered 45 degrees in front. So two meters, three meters in front. And if you're swimming open water with your head straight down, good luck about having any idea about what's around you. So mm. most triathletes are better off looking somewhat forwards. Let's call mm. it yeah, one to three meters in front. But the main thing that we want to try and do is avoid like a kink in the neck, like a, an obvious um, angle from the, the spine to the to the head or to the neck. We want to try and look in that range, but lengthen the back of the neck. So I think my dad used to teach me, um, used to teach us, he used to talk about like lengthen your back and get rid of those wrinkles in the back of your neck. And in a way, you're kind of like tucking your chin into the base of your neck, like sort of in that direction. Go for a double chin, not to the point where it's harder to breathe, but just in general, that's how you want to have it. And uh, that'll take care of, of head position. But yeah, I think most triathletes are best off looking somewhat forwards. And you know, I've had some filming with you know, Clayton Fatale and, um, Josh Amberge, and you look at those guys, and they're like, they're mostly just looking at 45 degrees. They're all all pretty much there. And if you've got a wetsuit on, it's not going to impact your body position whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's that's certainly fine. And if we think about those things that contribute to um to your legs coming up, one of the main ones is a front, well, not being front quadrant. So uh if we think of if you're looking from above, I don't really know what front quadrant really meant, but the way that, that I explain it now is if we look from above, we've got a bird's eye view of someone swimming and they've got their arms out in front. If we split that body into four quarters, the front quarter would start from about the head and go go up in that direction. So when we look at someone swimming, we want to ideally always have just something, whether it's a hand or an arm in that front quadrant. Now, if you don't have something in that front quadrant, then like if you're lying in the pool with your arms by your side and just looking straight down, your legs are gonna be the first thing to sink because you've got the buoyancy of your lungs, the air in your lungs, and your legs will outweigh that, that upper body. So it's always going to sink. And so if you've got nothing out in front to almost like counterbalance your legs, then you know, most of the time you're going to, to sink. So we generally wanna try and work towards a front quadrant stroke or, or very close to front quadrant. Again, it's not hard and fast. Everyone should be front quadrant, but again, nine, nine out of 10 people should, should have a front quadrant freestyle stroke.
0: That's a really helpful tip. And I really liked what you said about uh, the neck position, our strength and conditioning representative at Tribello says the exact same thing with posture. When you are um, cycling or running, it's the exact same principle. You need to get rid of those crinkles in your neck. And he, he does talk about that almost create the double chin in yourself. And yeah, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. He said that's the most efficient way you should be walking, running, riding everything you're doing. You know, if mm. you're, if you're getting that kink there, then you're not really, you're not moving properly. Um, so it's the same in, in the water and out of the water.
2: It goes. Um, yes. And you, you guys probably say it too, when you're coaching is that you can often look at someone at like their, their posture and how they stand. And, and even sometimes like by the nature of their work, like if, if they're a builder um, often, they're pretty, like they're pretty limited with their range. If they're working at a desk, they're generally like yeah, yeah, rounded through the shoulders and you can, you, know, you can have a pretty good sense of how they're going to do something because most things you do in life are going to carry over to the other things that you do. So it's, um, yeah, if you can just fix your posture in general or just gradually improve it over a few months, it's going to help so many um, aspects of your sport as well.
0: Absolutely. One of the biggest things I've taken from this uh, podcast is how important some of these little factors are that have nothing to do with your fitness in the water. And we speak about this a lot. And uh, you know, like you said, there's plenty of examples of people wiping massive time off their swim just by little techniques and, uh, even the little tricks we've spoken about, you know, if you've never spoken out, if you've never swam out in the ocean water, um, you are going to lose a lot of time by either swimming an extra 400 meters, like you said with Strava. Um, even every seven to 20 strokes, if your sight is wrong and then your feet are dragging and you're losing a couple of seconds there, that adds up over a 1900 meter swim. So uh, a lot of people could just uh, fix their, fix some time or a lot of time by doing all these little things and not even having to get fit in the water, which is uh, pretty, pretty helpful for a lot of people to realize. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice thing to
2: realize, especially when people have been banging their head against the wall and they just hit that plateau and they feel like they can't get faster. There's other things that you can do to get quicker. And especially like generally my experience with, um, with most triathletes I've worked with is like they're doing the work, they're, putting, they're doing the training, like they like to work hard, they love to smash themselves. And sometimes it's just uh, accepting that, look, all right, you, you're doing that part of it. And now it just comes down to um, maybe being a bit smart about how you approach your technique and um, having that concept of you don't need to work harder to um, go faster as a result of you know, just improving technique. And another thing that um, I've found really useful with this too is when um, when you think of your catch, which is that part out the front of the stroke, let's say the first part where you start to pull down, a lot of people try and overpower it. So, but if you try and overpower it, like from here, if you're just putting a lot of effort into that, you're just going to push straight down. That's not, it's like having no rip on your tires you haven't sort of connected with the road so if you just use that as your setup phase right set that up get a good position and a good position somewhere in the high elbow range or close to it then you can start to accelerate through and you've got that traction you've got that hold of the water so that that concept can make a big difference from bringing the effort down for for a lot of people who just try and rip straight at it when they when they enter the water
1: that's such a good point and uh that that little tiny bit of advice you just gave then is really, uh, I've seen, you know, 10 or 15 years of watching Jordan and his brothers and sisters at squad training and seeing guys brutalize the water, as I call it, where they, (laughs) they are, they are really well developed, muscular, you know, heavy, strong guys and seeing 11 year old, you know, 20 kilo girls gliding past them with no splash, beautiful technique, to perfect balance and these guys are just thrashing about and it's just that you know strength has nothing to do with it it's all to do with technique and for me it's such an eye-opener and what you've said today is just you know you've summarized it beautifully so you know, we're really pleased with uh, the tips that you've given our triathletes and hopefully uh they're really going to put some of that into practice into into their training over the you know over the next period
0: I guess to finish, I would like you to tell us uh, what, what is some ideology or just some things that you wish triathletes knew that would help them? You, just, you want to get across to everyone with something that um, you think people need to know.
2: Yeah, um, I think we've, we've covered a, a few of them for sure. Another one's probably, um, and the thing I've, I've found working with a lot of people is when you enjoy your swimming more and when you've got something to, to focus on that you know is going to make the difference, it's so much more motivating to swim because uh, a lot of triathletes they don't look forward to going to the pool one of the good things about and you know, the last couple of months is i think a lot of people have realized oh man i actually do miss swimming i miss the pool i, I really miss that feeling um, but if you don't enjoy going to the pool if it feels like a grind then just un- knowing what can make a difference and having some concepts like we talked about today to to focus on it becomes so much more enjoyable and then you see those you know might be one or two seconds improvement per hundred and you kind of get addicted to that you get addicted to that feeling of just the water flying past. Or you're getting more efficient. You're holding more water. It's a really, it's a really addictive thing. So um, yeah, to me, that's probably one of the, the game changers for a lot of people is when they start to love the swimming as much as they might love the bike or love the running. Um, then they start to do more of it. And when you enjoy something, you tend to relax and that's when you start to, to learn um, and start to just kind of um, you're not as tense when you're doing it. And that's when you just get better results.
0: Perfect. Well, that's a great way for us to finish. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Brenton. It's really helpful. I'm sure all the athletes listening have thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm sure they'll probably have more questions based on that. So if you do have any questions, please send us in and we'll probably pass it on to Brenton and maybe do a follow-up Q&A as always, because that seems to happen with these guest episodes. But no, thank you very much. It's been very insightful. Um, and we'll hopefully have you on again soon
2: yeah well thank you i mean it, i really enjoyed chatting to you guys and obviously when you know your staff and like your sort of father son team and like i my dad coached me for for about 12 years i think it was so um and we're both from down a similar area and um yeah no i appreciate you having me on i really enjoyed it and um yeah i love what you guys are doing so this was really really fun thank you yeah thanks a lot brenton
1: really appreciate it mate cheers thanks, guys finish there